This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. So many of our messages and the themes into what God did among us as the women of not just this church, but many churches, I believe over 20 potentially, over 30 churches were part of this conference this weekend, so we can just give God a huge uh, praise for that because that's, that's incredible. I do want to say thank you to your pastors, Stormy and Shelly, for having me. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, and I know how hard it is to give a platform to someone that you've never met before. There's a lot of risks involved. I told the last uh, service, I said, you know, you could give your platform to someone, and they could have an unauthorized tambourine in their purse. They could, like, have a track and want to sing Watch the Lamb and the Key of D. We don't know what they want. But I do come here just with such honor and um, respect for your pastors. Can we just give them a hand this morning? You guys, not that you need this affirmed, but you're part of a really beautiful church family. And you're in a healthy church. And it has been an honor over the last year to get to know Pastor Shelley through Instagram and through the Raised to Stay ministry. And so when she asked me to come, it's been almost a year since she asked me to come. I have been looking forward to this moment. And the cherry on the top is getting to be with you here on Sunday morning. So I stand here understanding the weight of what it means to stand behind a consecrated podium and platform, knowing the prayer Uh, that your pastors have put in and the hard work for over 25 years um, to pastor you in this body. And so again, it's an honor. Um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the charismatic church, Pentecostal preacher's kid, um, grew up in parsonages. So I was always in the church all the time. I have loved the church since I was a little girl. Um, I loved potlucks. I loved funerals and weddings because I knew that I could just walk across the parking lot and be part of all of the food that was happening. There was always the woman who had the spiritual gift of mac and cheese. If that's you, don't forsake the gift of mac and cheese. It's a good gift. I would call up my friends and say, hey, what are you doing? Nothing, what are you doing? I don't know, do you wanna go swimming? You don't have a pool. No, we have a baptistry, come on over. I was proud, so proud to be raised in the church and to be a pastor's kid. And I I learned to love the people of the church because my parents loved the people of the church. And so even now, getting to travel all over and and talk about raised to stay, my favorite part is you. My favorite part is getting to hear your stories of how God has saved you and redeemed you and brought you out and watching you love on each other and, and hearing your stories is just my favorite part of what I get to do. And over the last several years, I've been watching as my friends and my family have been going through what many of us know as deconstruction. And it was in 2019, as I was going through my own season of difficulty, and if I'm honest, wanting to quit a little bit. How many of you have ever want to quit? Just choose somebody else, God, this is too much, too hard. I was on a walk with the Lord, and I began to grieve over so many of my own peers, and even my own flesh and blood, who were gifted worship leaders and speakers and lovers of the house who had walked away, not only from church, but the Lord. And it was in that season of grieving that the Lord trusted me with what is now raised to stay, a ministry that goes around and tells us all as the body of Christ, we can't quit. We don't get to quit. We have to remain in position and hold on. And it was in this particular season of wanting to quit that I was woken one early morning to a phrase you're going to see up here on the screen, 
consider Rahab. It woke me up out of a dead sleep. Now you might look up there and think it says consider rehab. We could all probably use some rehab too. But it was alarming to wake up in the middle of the night to this phrase, consider Rahab. Like, God, what are you trying to say, man? Like, if you know the story of Rahab, that's not a comforting word to wake up to. So I did what every Christian does. I Googled. I Googled consider Rahab and thought there's got to be something in the interwebs about this because I don't know what I'm hearing. And after a long list of search options, I get to a message from the 1980s titled Consider Rahab. And the author of this message writes, Consider Rahab, who was known for her reputation as a harlot, but is remembered in her kingdom legacy as a protector and defender of God's people. And what struck me in that early morning was that no matter how many times I had failed the Lord, no matter how many times I had sinned, how many times I had chosen to go my own way, how many times I had been hurt by the church and things that had happened to me as a pastor's kid and decisions I had made in my 20s, that no matter how bad I had been, no matter how sinful I had been, that I was no longer who I once was, but I was operating and who I was becoming through the power of Jesus Christ, that I wasn't my reputation. I was my kingdom legacy. And that link, that kingdom legacy was a daughter of God. And as I grieved losing all of my friends and losing people in my family, I realized that our position in the church, our position as kingdom kids is not to remind people of who they have been, but speak to who they are becoming and become defenders and protectors of God's people. And that is, we as the church can adopt that position to be a safe haven for those who the world has already kind of cast out and the church has already cast out, that if we can become that safe haven for the spiritual orphan, for the ones who have not been welcomed, the ones who have not been wanted, then our legacy as the church wouldn't be who we've been, but it would be what we're known for, and that is being a protector and defender of God's people. And so as I've begun to study the story of Rahab, there are very many threads we could pull to get messages out of the story of Rahab. It's full, it's rich of the theological goodness. But I'm gonna have us all stand together this morning and we're gonna read the word of God together. And this is a part of the story that I want us to pull out today and that is the legacy versus reputation. We're gonna be in the book of Joshua this morning, starting in chapter one, verse one. Then Joshua secretly sent out his two spies from the Israelite camp of Acacia Grove, and he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had given the two men, had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We thank you, God, that it is a ready sword, God, to be used against an enemy who is out to kill, steal, and destroy. I thank you for your church. I thank you for every person who is represented here, God. And I ask that your word would go out and it would not return void. Lord, that it would be your word and your voice alone, God, that everyone in this room would hear. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, as you're seated, tell somebody the presence of God looks good on you. <clears throat> I love that. You know, it's better than your outfit looks nice, because what if the outfit doesn't look nice? Then we're just lying, right? So <laughs> everybody looks good in the presence of God. So a little backstory here. Jericho was an obstacle in the conquest of Canaan. It was a walled up city in this open valley, and it was guarded by these evil people called the Amorites. Joshua, being the good leader that he is, he dispatches two spies to go out and to try to find where it might be that they could best attack the city. And as the spies are looking for shelter, they were directed to a Canaanite woman's home named Rahab the harlot. Now, Rahab had such a reputation of being a prostitute or a harlot that even after her salvation, even after coming to the understanding knowledge of God, every time we see her name, in the scriptures, her sin is attached to her name. Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, to the point where you're like, we get it, Rahab was a harlot. This would be like us walking around town and every time we saw someone, they called us by a sin. Oh, that's Natalie, she's a liar. Or, oh, that's so-and-so, she got pregnant before she was married. Or, oh, that's another, that guy, uh, that's Rick, he was in prison. Everywhere you went, your sin was attached to your name. And that's what we were seeing in the scriptures with Rahab. But Rahab was also a friend of God in enemy territory. And the spies found refuge and protection in her home. Now, had the spies gone anywhere else, they could have possibly been put in prison or even worse, killed. So they had no choice but to trust that by entering into the home of Rahab the harlot, that they were going to be protected and defended, but that they couldn't worry about her reputation at that moment. They needed a safe place to go where they weren't going to be detected. And so Rahab the harlot opens her home to be a protector and defender of God's people. Spiritually, this doesn't make sense at all because Rahab did not come from anywhere where God was even acknowledged. She was not in any ideal circumstance to come to the faith of the one true God. She was a citizen of one of the most wicked cities that was under God's condemnation. She was part of a corrupt, depraved pagan culture, much like the one that you and I live in today. She did not benefit from any type of godly instruction in her life. She did not have a Moses. She didn't have a Joshua. She didn't have a Pastor Stormy or a Pastor Shelley. She didn't have anybody in her life to lead her to a living hope. The only way she came to know who God was was through the faithful stories of the Israelites passing through this pagan town who were letting the say-so, their testimony, the story of what God had done in their life, the story of what he was doing in the Israelites' life. The only way she knew who this God was was because people were telling her about them. They were telling her about a God who was opening up seas and taking people out of the wilderness to the point where she literally comes to this place in Joshua 2.11 where she exclaims, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. It was through the testimonies of God's amazing power 
that she came to believe by faith and went from a prostitute to a protector and a defender of God's people and a critical part of history. Now, I know a lot of us, we don't want to tell our stories. We feel like our stories are too messy. If I tell people too much, they're going to use it against me. They're going to, they're going to think less of me. But what's happening in this scripture and what's happening each and every day is every time we pass through these pagan cities that we live in, every time we pass through this world and we talk about a God who has redeemed us, saved us, split open our seas, left us, you know, not wandering in the wilderness, but opening up the wilderness so we can get to safety. Every time we talk about how God has moved in our lives and been our strength when we've been weak, it is introducing people to the living God. And yes, it can feel embarrassing. And yes, it can feel vulnerable. And yes, it can feel like somebody might use our stories against us. But at the end of the day, it is the redeemed saying so that introduces a lost person to a living God. And it will take every single one of us forsaking our reputation forsaking whether people like us or not, not worrying if people agree with us or approve of us or not, to sit in dark places with people who have not had a lick of hope in their lives and tell them the message of Jesus Christ. The only way that Rahab could even know God was because people were faithful to tell her about him. And yet how easy we forget that that is our mission, that we are called to love God, love people, and to go and make disciples. And the only way that we can do that is if we are obedient to tell our stories and to talk about this God who has brought us up out of the miry clay, the God who has raised us up out of spiritual death and given us new life. I love how the Israelites, they carried an authority to be able to tell this woman of the power of God. So much so that the authority that the Israelites had as they were talking about the mighty power of God, it was stronger than the influence of the culture around her. Think about it. This is one of the most evil cities, the most pagan places. God had set his wrath upon them. And yet it was the stories coming from these Israelites who understood the authority that they had through the power of God that was stronger than the influence of the culture that surrounded Rahab. So many times we as the church, we, we want to be influential. We have all these slick campaigns and we have all the social media programs and we're trying so hard to show the world, look at us, we're just like you. And we have forfeited our anointing for influence. We have forfeited our power, our authority to be influential. And I have news for you. The world does not need another institution that looks like the world. The world needs a set-apart, consecrated church that is going to look different, sound different, smell different, behave different than this world that is repeatedly letting them down. And so often as the church, we think the more that we look like the world, the more people we're going to come in. And so we have all of these campaigns to get butts, budgets, and buildings put together, but that was never the mandate. The mandate was to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. The mandate was that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The mandate was that we didn't come to be served, but to serve. The mandate was always about serving people over our culture. Loving people more than we love ourselves. 
but how quickly we get off mission because we forget. We forget that everything that we have been called to do is backwards from this world. And what's scary to me is that the world is a ready receiver of those the church rejects. And it only takes a church rejecting a person one time for them to say, that's okay, I don't want anything to do with that. And they run right into the arms of a world who will take them just as they are. When I think about my friends who have left the church, they are some of the most talented musicians I've ever known in my life. They've been drumming since they were five. They can read music and they can read numbers. They can read staff and they can, they can teach and they can coach. And they're some of the best musicians. And guess where they are now? Nashville, playing in bars because they walked out of divorce and the church said they weren't good enough to play on their platform. They had an affair and they were trying to get it back together and the church said, no, it's, you're too messy for us. And so where did they go? They went to the next place that would take them as they were, but guess what, God's not there. And so, yes, I'm grieved. My heart is grieved because I'm realizing that the church is losing the very people that we have been called to protect and defend. And what I love about the Israelites is they knew they could be killed on enemy territory, but yet they're still declaring the works of their God. And because of that, Rahab comes into relationship with God to the point where she is able to forsake her own reputation and even potentially lose her own life for choosing to stand in unity with the people of God. When we walk in our God-given authority, we will do crazy things. We will be fearless because we will know that if God is for us, who can be against us? That if we speak the word of God, what can man do to us? And though it may cost me my life here on earth, it is taking me to a home that is eternal. And if that's the worst case scenario, sign me up. But that takes walking in authority because when we walk in authority, we're fearless. When we walk in influence, we're fearful because everything that we do depends on if people like us. I'm often asked, well, Natalie, you know, you write books, you have a big social media following, like how, how is not, that not being influential? Well, I'll tell you the difference is that I understand the weight of what I carry. And what I do is very heavy. When I was a kid and I was asking the Lord, take me to the far ends of the earth, I was praying the prayer of Jabez, expand my tent poles, do this with me, take me here. I had no idea what I was asking for. I was asking for a life of surrender. I was asking for a life of laying down mine so that Jesus could be elevated. I was asking for a life of picking up a cross and, and doing things that nobody was going to actually like. And I can tell you right now that some days I just like to be a Starbucks barista. Because this is hard. And I've had a couple of days in the last month where I've said, Lord, just pick somebody else. Because being a defender of your people, it's hard. Being a protector of the church, trying to tell people to stop quitting, this is for the birds. Because I understand why some want to quit. The church has not behaved. The church has not been nice. The church has not been the safe haven that we were supposed to be. And so I don't blame people for wanting to quit, and yet at the same time, I don't want them to quit. And so when people ask me, how do I know if I'm trying to be influential? Well, here's a few things that I've learned. Number one, I try to constantly control my reputation of how I'm perceived. 
if you have been on my social media and uh, raised a stay in the last week, you'll see that there's a lot of people who don't like me right now. I weekly tick off Christians. I like to say I didn't choose the thug life, the thug life chose me. I don't like this role in the kingdom. I was fine being a worship leader, minding my own business. And yet God has asked me to do something that makes me very unpopular. So I can assure you that I'm not trying to control my reputation because I'm not trying to control my reputation. I got his reputation. And that's all I need. Number two, I try to seek or buy followers. Have you ever seen somebody who's got like five million followers and they've got two likes on a post? That's called buying followers. That's what we do. We try to look more important than we really are. That's how we know we're chasing influence. Number two, we chase platforms, microphones, opportunities, anything to get me seen, anything to get me heard. That's why Instagram and, and Facebook are such a hot dumpster fire right now. It's because anybody and everyone who has an opinion has a platform. And it's dangerous. We compromise to maintain status. We gossip to feel important or in the know. We compete rather than collaborate. We get jealous, we prefer others. We have this ugly, gross, orphan spirit that is in contradiction with being co-heirs of Christ. We manipulate people to do what we want them to do. We maneuver to keep our image clean and we use intimidation to appear powerful and untouchable. So much of this church abuse that we're seeing in churches now across the globe is because leaders have gone unaccounted for. Leaders haven't been held accountable. They've been seeking the influence of the world, trying to build up their own personal castles when this entire time we've been called to build the kingdom. And we wonder when these castles fall, why they fell, and it was because the foundation was never rooted on Jesus Christ, it was rooted on a personality. And one of the ways that I know that a church is healthy is when I see pastors and leaders who have a foundation built on the name of Jesus Christ and not on their name. I was asked recently in an interview, Natalie, why is Raised to Stay called Raised to Stay? Everything you do is hashtag Raised to Stay. Why is it not your name? And I said, because I don't want my name attached to anything that is God's. He gave this to me. He gave Raised to Stay to me. It was not mine. It's never been mine. It never will be mine. It's his. And so I don't want people to know my name. I want them to know his name. And so the ministry is around an idea, a concept of John 15, that if we abide in Christ, that he will remain in us and he will stay with us. And as a result, we will produce good fruit. That's what I want people following is the name of Jesus, not me. And the truth is, I, I wrote a book, but if you looked at my name, you wouldn't know who my name was. The only way you'd know it was me is because I called the book Raised to Stay. Because it's too much weight. It's too much weight to carry in my flesh. It has to be a supernatural offering to the Lord, everything that I do, because the only way that I can produce good fruit is if I'm holding on to Jesus. So many times I'm asked, well, are you telling us and raised to stay, to stay in unhealthy churches? Are you telling us to stay in toxic environments? Absolutely not, but I am telling you to stop attaching a perfect Jesus to imperfect people. And that when you walk into a church, it's going to be broken. It's going to be fallen because we live in a broken and fallen world. But there is a perfect Jesus, a perfect God that dwells in the midst of his people. And he's worth giving a try. When we're walking in this need for influence, it makes us suspicious of people who are trying to help us. People who are trying to hold us accountable. And I want to tell you and remind us all today, guys, that accountability is not church hurt. 
that you have people in your life who love you. They love you enough to not let you act like a fool. They love you enough to say, stop that. That's not godly. Stop that. That's not Jesus. They love you enough to sit you down so you can grow up. And there are people in my life even now who have permission to call me and say, Natalie, I think what you wrote might be confusing. Maybe take it down and reword it. I think when you said this that maybe it was theologically off. Why don't you go back and restudy that in the Greek and make sure you're saying that in the right way. There are people in my life who hold me accountable and it can't make me suspicious. It has to make me better. It has to make me want to know Jesus better. And I, I believe that you're in a church right now that you're probably, a lot of ministries are budding out of here. A lot of you are growing up. And I want to remind you that when people love you enough to correct you, receive it. Because that's the difference between walking in influence and walking authority is being able to receive godly counsel. For where there is multiple counsel, that's where you're going to find some wisdom. Right? And I think that's in Proverbs somewhere. Influence wants us to be desperate. Influence wants us to be near people that we think can get us things. It makes us uh, be indifferent and even mean sometimes to those who don't have anything that we need or we want. Elena Moore writes that the orphan spirit that makes us see others through the lens of deeply rooted resentment and anger. This orphan spirit, I spoke about it earlier, it's in contradiction with a promise that we are co-heirs with Christ. And if our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, won't he provide everything that we need? And his word promises us that he will give us everything that we need according to his riches and glory. But guys, that's not according to the poverty of our faith. Think about this. He gives us everything we need according to his riches and his glory. But our faith, our faith lacks sometimes. We have a poverty of faith. And God is constantly reminding us that if he will take care of the sparrows, how much more will he take care of us? And the enemy wants us sitting at the table that the Lord has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, and he wants us comparing lunches. Who's got what? Who's getting what? Who's doing what? When really he has set this feast, this bounty in front of us for us to enjoy, and none of us will go hungry. None of us have to worry that a sister or a brother is getting more than us. But that orphan spirit, it's a lie to make us feel like we're less than, like God has favorite kids. And I want to tell you this morning that God, he doesn't have favorite kids. He loves each of us just as we are, so we don't have to chase influence. We don't have to chase purpose because our purpose is in who we are as sons and daughters of the Almighty King. In April of 2012, I believe, I ended up in Haiti following one of the worst natural disasters that our world has ever seen. Thousands upon thousands were killed in one of the worst earthquakes that we have ever had on record. And as we were driving through the city of Port-au-Prince, our guide who was driving the tap-tap, he starts to slowly pull over onto the side of the road where there are these beautiful green rolling hills that were gated off by a 40-foot wrought iron fence. And he said, would you guys like to get out and, and pay your respects? I said, where are we? And he said, this is one of the mass burial sites of the Haitians who lost their lives in the earthquake. In the rolling hills, they just went on for miles. We get out of the tap-tap, and I notice that there are these beautiful Haitian children in their Sunday best sitting at the gate. Girls with beautiful bright bows in their hair. Young boys in suits with their pretty black shoes on. And they're digging in the dirt. Some of them are playing with each other. I said, well, 
are the kids here to pay their respects? And the guide looked at me and he said, no. He said, every Sunday they climb through the rubble of what is left of their city and they come to the gate waiting for their parents to come back. And I was crushed as they're sitting in our laps and we're trying to communicate through different language and we're feeding them snacks and singing songs with them. My heart just grieved at the thought that they still had hope that their parents were alive all that time later. And the Lord gripped my heart and he said, Natalie, pay attention to this because this is a picture of the church. We have just seen a massive deconstruction movement that has shaken the church to its core. And there are spiritual orphans every Sunday climbing through the rubble of what remains, hoping to get to a house, get to a church, and find somebody who is going to open the door and welcome them in. The world has forsaken them. The world has left them. The world has told them all of the lies and fulfilled none of the promises. And they're coming into a church just as they are, broken, dirty, sinful, not worthy. And they're wondering, will somebody love them? Will somebody hug them? Will somebody give them a warm meal? And my question for the church is, are we that place right now? Or are we so busy assigning scarlet letters that we've forgotten to, ex to extend scarlet ropes? Because it feels like the church is so quick to remind us who we were, what we did, who we were known for, when our role in the kingdom of God is to prophetically speak to who we're becoming in Christ. That we were once this, but now we're this. That we once did this, but now we're this. And I love how Rahab, she, she could have been afraid for her own life because it would have been much easier for her just to conform to the influence of her culture. It would have been much easier for her to have turned in those spies and she probably would have been hailed as a hero. She probably would have been known for much more than what she was known for by turning in those spies. But instead, knowing that it could cost her her life, she chose to be a defender and a protector of the people of God. And by faith, she took authority and fulfilled her mission. When we walk in authority, we rest in who we are in our identity in Christ. We're not known for the sports we play. We're not known for our talents. We're not known for our gifts. We're known for being a son or daughter of God. We don't chase after followers, but we begin to make disciples. We're more interested in taking an entourage with us to heaven than having 5 million followers on Instagram. We understand the weight of our platform. We don't compromise scripture to maintain status. We speak life over people. We prefer others over ourselves. We submit to God and point others to do the same. We own our mistakes and we model forgiveness and reconciliation and humility. And we acknowledge that even in our weaknesses, that even when we are the most weak, that our God is most strong. That is the redeemed saying so. Not look how great I am, but look how great he is. Not look how strong I am, but look how strong he is. Not look how faithful I am, but look how faithful he is. It brings people in and they want to know who is this living God that you speak of because I didn't come from where you came from. I wasn't a pastor's kid. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have a Joshua. I didn't have a Moses. I didn't have an Aaron. And we say, good, well, let me introduce you to the living God who doesn't matter if you grew up in the church because you're here right now. And everyone is welcome into the kingdom of God, but also into the family of God. 
It says in Joshua 6.23 that, so the young spies went in and they brought out Rahab. But here's what I love about what Rahab did. In her authority, she made a bargain. She did something that feels like a plot twist in the story. She says, okay, I have one more thing I need you to do for me. If you're going to protect me, I want to ask you to protect the rest of my family as well. Now, how many of you know that your family is your greatest critic? If you're going to wear a certain outfit that you think looks cute, it will be your family who will tell you you look fat. I have teenage daughters. I hear all the time that I look ridiculous. They're the first ones. I can imagine that Rahab's family had an opinion about her lifestyle. That it probably wasn't wonderful, no drama Christmases every year. There was probably some junk in the trunk of that family. And yet even knowing that there was probably some dysfunction, Rahab works into this deal that her family would be protected. I know that a lot of us have been hurt by people. A lot of us have been labeled by people, especially church people, Christian people. And even, even in that, we are still called to protect and defend the people of God. To not harbor unforgiveness, to not hope for their demise, to not pray for their fall. But to bargain in with the Lord, okay, God, if you're going to protect me, protect them too. And bless, I'm going to bless the ones who have cursed me. And that's what Rahab did. She worked into this deal, and they honored this. It says that they brought her out. They brought out her father, her mother, and her brothers, and everyone connected to her. They got the whole family out and gave them a place outside the camp of Israel. My question for us are, are we at a place today where we could ask the Lord to protect us all, to shelter us all, to protect even the ones who have hurt us, the ones who have spoken ill against us, because it will take unity of the church for us to overcome an enemy who's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And if the enemy can divide us from within, we don't stand a chance in this world. From the very beginning of the garden, the enemy has been trying to divorce the family of God because he knows that a unified church a growing church is the grief of hell. And that if the church grows, we will outnumber his evil minions that he has sent out to torture the people. And if anything, part of me hates Satan so much that I will remain on this mission because I will see the army of heaven outnumber the army of hell. But we have to get back on mission. We have to get reunified. We have to stop fighting each other with paper swords, grab the real sword of the spirit and begin fighting the real enemy. And Rahab knew who the enemy was and it wasn't her family. And she bargained for them to be safe. And so what happened was they extended a scarlet rope out the window of the home to let the Israelite army know that this was the home that had protected the spies. And Rahab and her entire family were spared. Just as Jesus did not let Judas keep him from his God-given mission, Rahab didn't let those who had attached his reputation to her name keep her from her mission. And we also cannot let the Judas in our life keep us from the mission that God has put us on. Don't ever let your Judas keep you from your Jesus. They're not worth it. It's not worth it. We can't tell the story of Rahab without acknowledging her reputation. It's there everywhere you look. Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. 
but she didn't let her reputation keep her from being obedient to the thing that God had called her to do. She would have been known as Rahab the harlot throughout all of scripture, but something really cool happens in Matthew. When we get to Matthew 1, 1 through 5, we find Rahab in a peculiar place. This scripture starts out with, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amimadad, Amimadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, period. No longer Rahab the harlot. Rahab in the family of God. Rahab in the lineage of Jesus. Rahab no longer known for her reputation, but for a legacy in the genealogy of the one and only Jesus Christ. God will use anyone with a past. Each and every one of us willing to walk in our authority who won't bend to the pressure of this world to look more influential, but who will walk in our authority as Jesus has commanded us to do. Rahab is no longer viewed as an unclean prostitute, but as one worthy by grace to be part of the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as she was grafted into the lineage of Christ, so we become children of God and partakers of his inheritance. You and I, we have been saved by grace and we have been grafted into this family. We are no longer orphans. I know that a lot of us, the church has put labels on us. I have people in my own family who got pregnant before they were married, cast out. Addiction, cast out. Alcoholism, cast out. Affairs, cast out. And their question is, well, if I'm not ever gonna be good enough, why try? If the church is never going to accept me, then why should I try to be good? And I want to remind us all that behavior follows belief. We can't ask people to behave. That's not what this kingdom is about. Jesus never called us to behave. He called us to believe. And I know that as these days start coming to an end, and we know that it looks like Jesus could return any minute. There are going to be spiritual orphans knocking on our doors. And my question for the church is, are we going to keep reminding people of who they were? Or are we going to start speaking to who they're becoming? Are we going to keep reminding people of their sin? Or are we going to start calling to who they're becoming in Christ? Because my hope is that we as the church would model what Rahab did and be a safe place on enemy territory. We don't belong here. We are just passing through. We are strangers. We are foreigners in this land. We are not of this world. We are different. We have been set apart. We are consecrated. We don't have to look like the world because we're not of this world. And there is a world looking at the church, not just this physical church, but the global church. And they're asking, will you protect me? Will you defend me? Will you visit me at the hospital? Will you 
go with me to the prisons? Will you bring me communion? Will you come and will you sit at my bedside? Will you love me at my worst? Or do you only want to love me at my best? And I'm convicted that this movement of deconstruction hasn't even been the enemy's fault, it's been ours. Because we've been asking the church how it can serve us when really we've been called to serve the church. And I believe we will see a revival and I believe it will be a radical remnant who will lead this revival of those who don't make sense, who don't look like the norm, they don't sound like the norm because God has brought the redeemed together to be this radical remnant of what I like to call the island of misfit toys who never felt good enough, but God has redeemed. I love to ask the question, well, how does the story of Rahab show us a picture of the church? Well, number one, we offer shelter to those looking for refuge from the enemy. There is a evil, evil lion out prowling the streets and we have our doors open so that anyone can come in and find refuge. We give testimony to the faithfulness of God in our lives to reveal his power to the lost. Keep telling your story. Keep telling people how God brought you out. Don't flower it up. Don't try to make it pretty. Be honest, be raw, be real. This generation is looking for authenticity, not perfection. Show your scars, bear them boldly. They tell a story of a God who saves. We acknowledge the sins of our past, but we see one another as who we're becoming in Christ. If God has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, don't you think we can do that for each other? If God has forgotten, shouldn't we be able to forget? If God isn't holding it over our heads, shouldn't we stop holding it over the heads of one another? And finally, we protect the family of God. All right, Satan, you wanna get through her, get to her, you gotta go through me. You wanna to get to that family, you're gonna to have to go through my family. You wanna deal with that illness, you wanna attack them that way, you're gonna to have to go through me because I'm gonna stay up all night interceding for their healing. We become protectors and defenders of God's people. Everywhere I go, I encounter people who are wounded soldiers, who some are more honest about how hurt they've been, others are a little bit more timid, they don't want to go there just yet and it breaks my heart that we've come to this point but at the same time I'm, see, I'm seeing radical transformation and healing in the body of Christ as we stand up and we call the enemy out for the lies and we start grabbing hold to the voice of truth and as we stand up together this morning the altar call time as we come to this final part of the service is simple in its request, but complex in that it requires us being honest with where we are. I know that there are a lot of you who have carried a name, a label for who you once were, maybe even what you're currently living. You've been identified as the one who got pregnant before marriage, the one who got divorced, the one who had the affair, the one who's been addicted to drugs, the one Fill in the blank. But this morning, God wants to give you a new name. Forgiven, adopted, wanted, lovable, restored, set free, healed. As I go and I watch people release 
this identity or these hurts, we're also seeing physical healings. I never anticipated Raise the Stay to be a physical healing ministry, but that's been some of the fruit of this ministry as people have let go of the things that have been holding them back, unforgiveness, fear. And so the call this morning is simply this. If you want your name to be rewritten, we know the one who can do that today. If you wanna go from sick to healed, if you wanna go from in bondage to free, if you wanna go from unforgiveness to forgiveness, we want you to come forward now, right where you are. Just begin to walk forward. We're not going to leave here the same way that we came in and the prayer team's gonna come up here. And I'm gonna tell you right now, there's new names being written down in glory tonight. There's new names that are gonna be written down. You're no longer the one who was divorced. You're the one who went through a hard time and God brought you out. You're no longer the one that was plagued by unforgiveness. Now you can testify of the one who has forgiven you, so you now forgive 70 times seven. No longer bound by what we once were, but running to who we're becoming in the name of Jesus. And it's only by the power and the authority that we have been given in the name of Jesus to be able to speak into these spaces. Reminding the enemy that he's all smoke and mirrors. He's a liar, he's an accuser. But today, right now, we choose to listen to the voice of truth, to listen to the word of God that is this double-edged sword that fights off the darkness and, and brings us into light to be able to see who we really are. And so as we pray this prayer, we are praying for new names, new assignments, freedom, freedom from what we've been known as to step into what we will be known for. And that is being a people who protect and defend the family of God. Come on, raise your hands all across this room. Whether you came forward or not, God is here today to do a new thing. So receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Operate in that authority that you've been given so that you can be the one to bring light into darkness. Father, in the name of Jesus, we call out new names in this room. We call out new assignments, new missions, new ministries. We call out families. We call out new birth, new life in the name of Jesus. We ask you, God, to erase what was. Whatever that lie of the enemy that is being whispered in our ears, we reject that lie and we accept your truth, the truth of who you say that we are in your word. You say that we are your sons and daughters, that we are the head, that we are not the tail, that we will always see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that we will not die, but we will live and we will declare the Desired, 
Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.